Thank you so much, Bishop Mwiza. We so appreciate you. We appreciate what you have done. We appreciate all of you, these great men and women of God. I don't say that lightly. I say that because it is true. God has used you. He has saved you and he's used you. He is using you. And this is the hour when he is going to display himself in you to the world. This is the hour. I would like for you to remain on your, your feet for just a moment as we just reflect a little bit on being complete in him. It's not for sermon material. It's for living. It's not exulting in such a profound revelation. It's walking it out. And the way we do that is through him. We are in him. We work through him. And all the glory goes to him. When young men find a, that special woman, that special girl, it's like everything is about her. And sometimes we have to rekindle the flames because sometimes we're disappointed in each other and we have to rekindle the flame. Sometimes we have false expectations of God and we have to rekindle the flames. And I believe the Lord is doing that in our midst right now. Jesus says something. John records it. And I would like to say, he says men ought to always pray. I'm going to say people. I believe the intent is that people ought to always pray and never lose heart, never give up. I sense that there are some who've had a very hard road. You have not had everything that you expected of God. We're talking about these lofty things of God. But these lofty things of God reach, they reach to the lowest places and they will lift you up. I also sense that this is an hour and a time that God has ordained to lift you up. I don't say it because I'm here with you. I say it wherever I go. And one of the reasons that we spend as much time in Africa as we do the West, Central, East, is because I do believe the Holy Spirit has revealed that he is lifting you up, those who have tasted 
the things at the bottom. He's lifting you up to bring those who felt like they were rulers that you might win them and show them the love of Christ in a different dimension. God is lifting you up. It's a cause, in my view, of celebration, not just because you're being lifted up, but you're lifted up to lift him up. Let us pray, and then I'll share a little while. Father, we thank you for who you are. You're the mighty God, everlasting Father. You're gracious in all your ways, loving and kind. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. And your work has been in Christ, through Christ, for Christ. Your work is eternal. I pray that you would drive that home today, that your work is eternal. So many of us have been taught that salvation is because of us and our ability to walk it out is through us. I've heard it all of my life. But we have come to say that salvation is a divine initiative. It requires a divine response. We're saved because it was your idea and we are kept because it's your power. We want to thank you for who you are, the immutable God, unchangeable God. We thank you for what you have done. It cannot be undone. And let that sink deeply within our ears and hearts today. And that we will be like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts where he went on his way rejoicing. I pray today and I believe you that we will go on our way rejoicing after these two days with you and with each other. Again, embed these truths in our hearts. Drive them in our hearts so deeply that no trial or difficulty or temptation can remove them. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. You did not need saving. We needed saving. So you've saved us. And let us go out of here believing and knowing that you have saved us from the gutter to the uttermost. And you didn't save us to lose us. We are kept by the power of God. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let me just sort of jump into this message here. I want to take up from where I left off yesterday. 
in, um, in the message we shared yesterday, the supremacy of Christ. I want us, and I want personally, to get to know him better and better every day. I want to know more of him every day, to learn Christ, not just learn about him, but to learn him, to know him. He is important to all that we do, all that we know, all that we will ever be. And when Paul writes to the Colossians, it's such a wonderful, amazing message. Uh, in Colossians, Colossians informs me so well because we find in Colossians who Christ is in us. And it's a very, very important book. When I first came back to the Lord, I spent some days away from the Lord because I had false expectations. But when I came back, I read the book of Ephesians so much, all the time, and I found who I was in him. But when I read Colossians, I found who he was in me. And now we're going to look at some verses in, in uh, verse 15, uh, that is Colossians 1, 15 and, uh, through 20. But Paul's petitions to the Colossians to be enlightened about God's redemptive work in their lives, after he drove that home, he moved to his main emphasis. And his main emphasis was the exaltation and the preeminence of Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ has attained to the highest place. And what we were saying yesterday is that Jesus Christ, a man, and it's very important, it's actually imperative that we know it was a flesh and blood man, a man like you and me, who walked the earth, who had a human body, had a mother, has a birthday, has, has a, a, a record on the earth, lived just like us, ate food like us, got tired like us, sweated like us. He overcame everything in this world and ascended to the highest place. He ascended to the very throne of God and sat down indicating that his work was over. There are some who says his work is not over yet because, no, his work is over and we're going to see the, that it is over because we cannot do something that he has not done. So we don't want to believe that there is something that Christ hasn't done that we must do. No, we're going to fulfill what he has done. We will be the visible representation of what he has done. That's what Christ wants. He is seated there. So the idea of sitting down means that your work is over. So he, he ascended to heaven and sat down. That means his work was over. The father said, sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And that's what we are in, uh, in the progress, in process of seeing. Now let's look at verse number 15. Um, Paul mentions here seven characteristics, characteristics of Christ, and I just want to read them, and then we're going to go and sh share a little bit. So he, he reads, he says that he is, number one, the image of God, the firstborn over creation, the creator of the universe, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, 
the fullness of God. Number seven, the reconciler of all things. And here we find a comprehensive description of who Christ is in relation to God the Father. And he goes on to say, he is sovereign over the universe. He is the one who must capture and hold all of our attention. This is what we want to find out about Jesus. So if, you're, if Jesus has not captured your attention, he must capture your attention. Do you live, breathe, and speak Jesus? That's what this is about. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, we find that we are his body. We are his body. And the Bible says the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so God's, the Father's intent is that all that Christ is would be in his body, fully expressed in his body. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul writes that God may grant you and me to know the love of Christ, to know the love, how much he loves us, which passes knowledge, which goes beyond knowledge, that you may be filled, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's intent is that we would contain all that he is. Now you may say nobody can contain all that he is. A thimble can be full of, of, a, of a substance and it's full, it's complete. A cup can be full. A leader can be full. You and I are to be full of God. And it pleased God, it pleased God the Father through Christ to share all of his glory with you and me. This is what we must understand. And let's walk it out. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says that he is God's likeness. The literal representation, the literal manifestation of God. So then, Christ is the exact representation of who the Father is. In Hebrews chapter 1, the, the writer says of Jesus, he is the brightness of his glory or God's glory. So Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. And he is the express image of his person and upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the Logos, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That is, in Jesus, all things hold together. All things were made by him, and all things hold together. So we want to really be totally convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. Yesterday, I spent some time explaining why we sometimes are faithless. We sometimes think that, well, God's not going to come through for me. I said to you in 50 years of preaching the gospel and 37 years of pastoral ministry, not one time has he not kept his word. He is going to keep his word forever. When I was a young man in my 20s, I knew that the Lord had called me to preach the gospel. 
And I said to the Lord, I, I don't want to pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My uncle, I had an uncle who was a pastor and pastors all around the community. So I don't want to be a pastor, Lord, because I don't want to be poor, have nothing, and ask the world to help me. I will not ask the world to help me if I should preach how powerful you are, how loving you are, how great you are, and then ask sinners to help me keep my doors open. I won't do that. Now, I wasn't, as it were, demanding of God, but I was expressing my heart to God. And he gave me a dream. And in that dream, I was observing a church. And in this church, there were two men at an offering table. They were receiving an offering, and there was not enough money to pay the light bill. And they were worried. And a voice spoke to me out of the dream, and he said, this will never be your problem. Now, that was my experience, but if you're having a terrible or a negative experience in the Lord, and it seems like God's not providing, God's not doing what he, he said he would do, you should go to God, and I promise you this, as a man of God, if you will promise to do God's will, God's way, he will provide everything you need to complete your mission. He will provide everything you need. My, my challenge was not that God did not, has not provided. My challenge was believing God at the last minute. Sometimes God didn't come through for me in those 37 years, those 50 years, until the last minute. And I didn't want him to be a last-minute God. It, my expectations were false. I wanted him to come to me right away. But God knew that if he came to me right away, it would negate faith. I, I didn't need faith if he gave me the answer before I even called on him. And so he has been building my faith for 50 years, 37 years as a pastor, 37 years going to the world, 34 years going to the world. He has, he has proven himself over and over. And I'm just here to say perhaps nothing new, but that God is proving himself to those who believe in him and trust in him every day, every day. And he's doing it through Christ. He says, Jesus himself says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's John 14, 9. He says, anyone who saw Christ, the visible manifestation of the invisible God, had seen the invisible God. The Apostle John said, no one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, has made him known. He has declared him to us. And so in your life, God has declared. That means he has made a definite statement of faith in your heart. It's a declarative. He has said, my son is God. He's not a lesser God. And so you and I can depend on God. This is a day I feel like we're about to go into some great battle. I'm, I sense that, that we're about to go into this great battle, and God is just encouraging us before we go into the great battle. You know, we're not going to always have the outcome that we want, but we will have the outcome that God wants. 
We always want to read about ourselves in, in some magazine or newspaper. Perhaps we want to see ourselves on television. We want to see the manifestation of what God said. Maybe we won't see it. Maybe it's for others and not for us. This is what the scripture says about Jesus. And if we will embrace Christ, if we will continue to believe in Christ, we will have everything that Christ died to give us. I said yesterday that Jesus Christ died to give us his spirit. We heard more about that this morning. He died to give you himself. So all of Christ dwells in you. Not a part of Christ, but all of Christ dwells in you. I was talking to uh, part of my staff recently, and I have a friend who graduated, a ministry friend who graduated from Cambridge, and at one of the greatest universities in the world, graduated from Cambridge, and I was having some, a light moment, and I was talking about how, how I graduated from a, a little-known school. Actually, it doesn't exist anymore. They changed the name. It was such, such a little school. But whenever he and I are together, the Lord just enhances me. You know, whenever we're together, I talk like I graduated summa cum laude from Cambridge. And we're talking, and, and we're talking, and he is so impressed. And he, he told my, my daughter, your dad is such an erudite man. Real learned really smart and sharp, but that's not really me. I'm someone in whom Christ lives. And at any juncture, at any time, he is able to bring out of himself, not of the university that I graduated, not from Cambridge, but out of God, God the Godhead, out of his Christness, he can bring out of you and you and you whatever is needed for the moment. You don't have to compare yourself with others. He is, the scripture says uh, in 1 Timothy 1.17, he is the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Christ is the, the perfect representation and manifestation of that God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, two words that the writer mentions. He mentions shadow and the very image. Uh, the very image, which is Christ, uh, and the shadow are contrasted. They are contrasted. Sometimes when we travel around the world, wherever we are in the world, doesn't matter where you are, there are many in the church, they're like law people, L-A-W people, law people. They preach like law. They live like law. But the law is a shadow. You have the very image. The law having a shadow of the good things to come. The law could not portray the good things that you and I are enjoying. It was in able, unable to do so. It had an inability to portray Christ perfectly. So it was a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. And the scripture says it can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, Make those who approach perfect. For the law made nothing perfect. But Christ has come. He has come to bring his perfection into your life. That's what Christ has come. And you and I 
must lean on him and learn from him. Christ is uh, supremacy. That means he has the highest rank. That means he has gone where no man has gone before. He's shown in his relationship to God the Father. Christ is the perfect resemblance and representation of God. The scripture says, but we shall also become the very image of Christ. We shall also become the very image of Christ. Sometimes when I'm telling the story, I want to tell the story and go to the end because the end is so good. So may I go to the end and then come back to where I was. And, and John, John, the beloved, saw Jesus coming. He said, beloved, now we uh, children of God. And it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. I don't know what that does for you. But these truths, they do something to me. I, it's hard for me to sit still or, or be calm because something is moving inside of me. There's a life inside me. He says, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. And there's coming a day where we will not only see him through eyes of faith, we will see him with our own eyes. We shall be like him. And at that moment, all that is of the flesh, all that is of Adam, will drop away from us forever and ever and ever. You see, we, we, are, we are too eager to be adopted sons of God. And there's nothing wrong with the adoption. I'm adopted, you're adopted. But we are sons of God, firstly, by spiritual birth. By spiritual birth. This is what we know. Jesus is the unique son of God. You are not, are not sons of God as Jesus. Jesus has brought us into sonship. But we were born of God. I'm going to talk about that in the next session more. We have been born of the spirit of God. We are adopted into the family so that we might enjoy our inheritance right now. We don't have to wait till later. There's some of you right now must start to enjoy your inheritance, not when you get home Sunday, but right now. You should confess. You know, there's nothing wrong with confessing. There's something good about it. it when we were kids, they said it was good for the soul. It was good for, for your thinking. It was good for your being. We should confess right now that we are sons of God. We are born sons of God. That means we have his nature. If you reared children, you brought up your children, you know, invariably it seems like if you have enough children, there'll be one that, that doesn't want to do right. If you have enough. Now, if you have one, maybe you have a perfect child. I doubt it, but maybe you can think that. But if you have several children, there's going to be, seems like, one who wants to do his own thing. This is what I've lived long enough to know. No matter what that child does, that child is still my son. Or that child is still my daughter. It doesn't matter what they do. I can't unson them. I can't undaughter them. Nor can the trials and tribulations of our lives unson us. They cannot do that. Some of us have taught that that's, that's the way it is. But that's not the way it is. It doesn't mean that you are a heretic. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you were wrong. 
And if anybody's been preaching the gospel as long as I have, knows that occasionally we're wrong. But if I'm wrong about something, if I don't see something correctly, I repent and go on. I love two things about the Bible, many, many things, but two things are so wonderful and we have undervalued them. That is forgiveness and repentance. If you ask God, you repent, God will forgive you. I like to tell a story when I was a kid. When I was a kid, um, I remember wanting to wash the blackboard. I don't know if anybody's old enough in here to remember we had blackboards in school and where the teacher would write on the blackboard. And we, all, we kids always wanted to wipe the blackboard to, cleanse the, to clean the blackboard. And so uh, I was thinking about that one day and the Holy Spirit just short, started to share with me. Uh, he gave me that image in my life when I was a child that I might have the understanding of repentance and forgiveness. That's how subtle God is in our lives. God is doing things in our lives that we're unaware of, but at the time we need them, the Holy Spirit will bring them to our remembrance. And I remember washing that blackboard and sometimes we use an eraser but it would leave a little trace of the, of the crayon or the chalk that was used. But then the teacher would say, get a, a rag, get a cloth, and let's wipe it. And we would clean it, totally clean, so that we could write on it with no vestige, no, no, nothing of yesterday. God wants you to forget the things that are behind. And he wants you to look forward to the things right ahead. Because I promise you today, as I stand here as a man of God, your future is greater than your past. Your future is greater than your past. The question is, will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Wow. Let, let's look at another scripture. I want to read, perhaps I'll get back to Colossians, but let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 47 through 49. And this is important to us. I want to build this foundation very, very solid. I want it to be a very, very solid foundation of who Christ is, his supremacy, his having the first place in your life, the highest rank. I want to build that because I'm going to say some things in the ne next session that you may find hard to swallow because you've been told something different. Let's look at this. Verse 47. The first man was of the earth. He's speaking of Adam. Made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are, the, are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. This is what Paul is saying to us. This is very important. Now, this is going to require that you believe what God says, not what you feel. He says, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust. When you look around, there are many colors here. All of that was in the man of dust. All of that. This color that color, that color, and other colors out here that was in Adam. So we bear his image. And in other ways, he says, as we have borne the image 
of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so God makes a promise and God keeps his word. God doesn't say you will bear the image of the heavenly man uh, if you do these 10 things perfectly. There's no one under the sound of my voice since coming to Jesus has lived every moment perfectly. But you're still saved. Why? Because salvation was not based on your performance. It was based on the blood of Jesus Christ from that moment, even forever and ever and ever, world without end. There is nothing in this world, nothing in eternity can, that can rob you from what God gave you. I said yesterday, if anyone can come up to God and snatch you away, that, that whoever snatched you away is more powerful. But nothing is more powerful. Because Jesus has defeated every foe on your behalf, on my behalf. Jesus has defeated every foe. He has even defeated the foe of poverty. Yes. Of bad thinking. Yes. Of doubt and unbelief. He has defeated that. When those sneerers and jeerers we're at the foot of the cross saying, if you're the son of man, come down now. If you're the son of God, come down now and, and prove to us. I'm glad he stayed. I'm glad he finished his work. But I'll tell you what he did. He was an amazing God. The Bible says he was hung between two thieves. Had a thief on his right and thief on his left. The scripture says that when they started out, the murderous people were shouting and jeering and the thieves were complaining. Both of them. But one of them saw something. I mentioned that. I want to reiterate it. I mentioned it yesterday. But one of them saw something. He saw a man forgiving those who were killing him, as it were. Forgiving. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're, do they're doing. Father, forgive them. Now, you know you and I are not quite there yet. It's like my son. He's a little boy. We take a trip. We'd be a mile out of town. He says, are we there yet? And it seems like it prolongs the trip. But we're not there yet. We can forgive the murderers, those who hurt us, those who betray us. But Jesus was doing it, taking care of his mother on the cross, quoting scripture on the cross. And this thief said, wait a minute. Something's, something's different here. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus stopped dying. To forgive a sinner. A man at the very last moment. That, that's who my confidence is in. That's who, who, who co your confidence should be in. That, you should believe that, not your feeling. My faith is not based on my feeling. My faith is based on his faithfulness. He stopped dying to save a thief. And then at the last moment, when he gave up his spirit, when he was in our darkness, in the midst of darkness, could not see the Father, could not feel the Father, but by faith he knew he was there. When I was a young preacher, I remember saying in one of my difficult trials, it's sort of humorous, 
I was going through it. Boy, it was hard. I cried. I didn't want anybody to see me crying. I was crying. I thought, I'm going down. This is so bad. No human can endure it. And I was crying out to the Lord. Maybe you're ashamed to say you've cried out to the Lord. Maybe you're ashamed to say you felt like giving up. Listen, I felt like giving up. I'm not proud of it, but I felt like giving up. I felt like quitting. I said to my mom one, one day, Mom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit the church. I, I can't be this pastor. This is too much. It's too difficult. I, I'm going to just have to walk away, Mom. She said, oh, oh, you're going to quit on the Lord. I said, no, Mother, I'm not going to quit on the Lord. Oh, oh, Mom. And I went back and I thought I was about to quit on the Lord. But Jesus didn't quit. When, it, when darkness, our sins, it so covered him. Jesus didn't quit. He could not feel God. He could not sense God. But this is what he knew. He knew he's the word of God. And the word of God was with him. The, he was the word of God. The word of God was in him. And he knew that God was there even when he couldn't feel him. Even when he couldn't sense him. God is there. And you and I, if we're going to complete our mission, we must know that God is there. That Jesus is there. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. For he has entered into the covenant of our heart. He is there for you. Sometimes we, we think that we are so unique that he's not there for us, but he is there for you. He is there for you. He says, I, can, I, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is the God that we serve. Let, let me talk a little bit more, and I'm going to move on a little bit more rapidly. My aim is to show you or teach you and I know that you know these things, but I'm going to still teach you, right? Right? Somebody said to me about a, a, one of the teachers in that church, it wasn't Pastor Stan, but uh, said, doesn't it bug you that that person's always teaching and preaching? I said, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I said, that's who the person is. They're a teacher. I said, I'm always preaching. I, I don't shout, but I'm always preaching. I'm always trying to be an example. I want to be an example. It doesn't. So you and I must be who we are, and we must show this reality of God in us to the world. And so what I want to do is to show you or teach you how to see, how to see. And, and, I, and that's why I bring the scriptures out the way I do. I want to teach you how to see, because this is what I know, that once you see, you cannot unsee. You cannot unsee. You know, you, if, you, if you saw something appropriate or inappropriate, once you saw it, it's there. And the devil loves to show you inappropriate things. You'll be tootling down the road 30, 40 years from now, and, and he'll try to bring that image up to trip you. So one day in the 70s, I went to a house group, and I was in this home group, and a woman came up to me and said to me, a young woman, she said, uh, Brother Don, what do you see on the wall? And I said, well, I said, there's a board with sticks on it. There's a board with sticks on it. And she said, well, keep looking. And I kept looking, and she came back. She said, what do you see? She said, a board with sticks on it. She said, well, keep looking. And this is what I want you to do. You have been believing, God. Keep believing. All right? Keep believing. 
And so in a, a little while, she, she came back and checked on me. I still saw a board with sticks that keep looking. So I kept looking, and then I shouted these words, I see Jesus! Because those sticks spelled J-E-S-U-S. I see Jesus! And I was shouting, I was so excited. I saw Jesus on that board that looked like sticks. And some of our, our lives look like they're just sticks put together. But no, there's Jesus in that. I, I promise you there's Jesus in that. And so what I did, I tried to trick my eyes and brains. That's just the way that I am. And so what I did was I looked at it on the side. And I saw, still saw Jesus. And I turned and I still saw Jesus. Then I inverted my, my head and I still saw the word J-E-S-U-S. And it taught me something. No matter how life tosses you around, you must see Jesus. It doesn't matter what life does. It matters what you see. And this is what I've lived long enough to know. That in, in Christ, what you see, you can have. What you see, you can have. I want to encourage you. See Jesus in everything. Uh, let me give you one quick story. I was looking for about time. Remember the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit. What do you want? Because he couldn't get rid of him. Remember the story how Elijah kept trying to get rid of Elisha and couldn't? Well, I want to be like Elisha to Jesus. If Jesus were trying to get rid of me, can I want to be like a little brother. You know, a little brother always followed the big brothers. I was a little brother and I always followed the big brothers. They say, "Boy, go back home." They shoved me and they would watch me, and I would turn around and go back home. So I'd going back home. I would look around and see that they were going. I'd follow them. That's how Elisha was. That's how I am with Jesus. Not that Jesus is saying, go back, but sometimes Jesus will not look at you, not talk to you, because he's pulling you, drawing you into faith, like he did the Syrophoenician woman. That's, that's how Jesus will, will sometimes do you. Uh, my point in, in, in telling this story is that, is that when you and I, when you and I follow Jesus, we keep following Jesus. Jesus will draw us in. He will build our faith and, and just keep on because whenever you see Jesus, you can never unsee Jesus. And whenever Jesus, as it were, leaves you, and it, it appears that he's gone on somewhere, I promise you, you will see him. He will appear in your life. He will show himself strong on behalf of you. That's the way Jesus is, and that's my experience with him. Let me... Gone. I was. I wanted to tell you another story, but it slipped my mind. But it'll come back. Let's look at what Jesus is. The, this, the whole point of this this uh, supremacy of Christ is that He is the firstborn over creation. I mean, Jesus rules over everything. That's amazing to me. He's, so the, the the point of this book is to show Christ's superiority in everything. So that means you'll never have a situation, you'll never have an issue, you'll never have a problem where Jesus is not superior. You'll never have a problem too big for him to solve. Our problem is unbelief. 
And the book of Hebrews calls it an evil heart of unbelief. Let's don't ever have unbelief. And so uh, the, in this book, we find that Jesus is the upholder of creation. He holds it together. He also has priority and superiority over creation. He is the firstborn. That means that he created all things. It doesn't mean he was the first being that, that ever was. No. He was the first thing that, that rather that God created. It doesn't mean that. It means that he is number one over it. Over it. I'm going to go to sort of my end because there's some things I want to say in the next session. And if I keep talking here, I'm going to say them now. So let's, go, let's look at the fact that Jesus Christ is a, is a man just like us, born of a virgin, lived a life, perfect life, the only person we guesstimate since the earth has begun, some guesstimate that there have been 117 billion people on the planet, 117 billion, and only one of them let us send us life. That shows you we need him. As I sum up, he is the eternal God. He came forth from God. Therefore, he's eternal. We placed all of our hope in him. So number one, Jesus is the image of God. That means he's his exact likeness. Number two, he is the firstborn over creation. That means he rules it. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling everything seen and unseen. He's ruling everything seen and unseen. Every demonic force that comes against you you can't see, Jesus is the boss. And they can't come against you unless he allows it. But he never allows it for your destruction, but for your construction. He is three, creator of the universe. Number four, he is the head of the church. When you think about your head and your natural body, your body is subject to your head. All of the signals come from your head. Everything that I do, I try to do it at the Spirit's unction. Every time you're doing something at the Spirit's unction, people around you may not understand, they may not agree, but follow the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when you're following the Holy Spirit, you're following Jesus. Now I'm going to say before I give you the fifth point, don't be afraid that you, uh, that you must give the Holy Spirit equal time. Don't worry about that. That's carnal. I was in a place not that many years ago when I was preaching Christ, uh, just showing that, that body who Jesus is in every aspect of his being. And the next person who got it was it was a Pentecostal church, by the way. I have nothing against Pentecostals. I was born in a, in a Pentecostal family, and I, I said, where I cut my teeth on Pentecostal pews. So I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. But, but so we, we, we understood the Holy Spirit, and so we talk about the Holy Spirit. We want to give the Holy Spirit equal time. The Holy Spirit is not jealous of Jesus. He's come, he's, he listens to Jesus. He magnifies Jesus in your life. So, and his presence in your life is, argues for the divinity of Jesus. So he is in your life because of Jesus. 
because Jesus died to give you his spirit. That's why the spirit came. And so he is the head of the church. That means every movement of the church must come from Jesus. Number five, again, he is the firstborn from the dead. There is no man or woman, boy or girl, who has ever died who did not die again. But Jesus is alive forevermore. Jesus beat death. He defeated death. Number six, he's the fullness of God in a body. He's the fullness of God in a body. Therefore, you and I are considered in Scripture, I, I passed right by them because I don't need to read them. You and I are now the fullness of him. So Jesus' fullness dwells in his body. Jesus' fullness dwells in his body. And as an individual, I, I can be full, as full as I can be, but I'm not in myself the fullness. But in the body, there's the fullness. A few days ago, about a week and a half ago, I was sitting in church on a Wednesday evening, and we had brought a reader up who would read my, some articles that I've read, read, I've written, and I was sitting there, and the Holy Spirit began to move on me, and he said, he said, uh, when you get up, say these things. And there were several things, maybe four or five things. And as the person got up to read, she was reading, and she, well, she, was, she started to pray before she read. And she was reading, uh, praying rather, and she prayed everything the Holy Spirit said. Everything he told me, she prayed. And the Lord was, spoke to me and he said, this is what I'm doing in my body. This is what I'm doing. What I give one, I will give another. I will give a confirming word here and there and everywhere. This is why I say, this is your hour. This is the hour that much of our labor has brought us to. I am seeing it not only in America, but I'm seeing it in Asia and in Africa and in Europe. The same thing. So God's body is expressing the fullness that Christ is. Wow. He is the reconciler of all things. That is, God is not reconciled to us. We are reconciled to God. Number eight, he is the Logos. He is the word of God. He is the thoughts of God. He is the Logos. John tells us that in John chapter 1. The Logos became a man. So number 9, he is called the word of God. Number 10, he is the light of the world. Number, the next, number 11, he is the door of the sheep. The next, he is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life, number 13 that came from heaven. Number, number 14, he is the water of life. 15, he is the resurrection and the life. Next, he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the true vine. He is the first and the last. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is he who is and who was and him and who is to come. He is the Almighty. And Paul says, him we preach. Him we preach. Therefore, we don't just preach about Jesus. We preach to Jesus. We preach to Jesus. 
I'm going to close now. This is what I want you to take with you. One, this is your day. If you believe it, you can have it. And then the prophet, Elijah and Elisha, was telling the story. I'm somewhat ending with it. Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me when I'm taken up, you can have what you've asked for. My job is to help you to see, to see who Christ is, to see what he has done for you, and to know that what he has done cannot be undone. And just as Elijah was taken up into the heavens, not to heaven, but into the heavens, he was taken up in a fiery chariot. Elisha saw him, and, his, and Elijah's mantle fell on Elisha. Elisha picked it up, and he smote the Jordan. He smote it. So where's the God of Elijah? And the Jordan obeyed him. He had a double portion of that spirit. If you see what we are sharing with you in these few days, what was shared yesterday, what is shared today. If you see it, it's yours. That's a promise from God. If you see it, you can have it. Because once you see, you cannot unsee. Once you've been born, you cannot be unborn. You are now sons of God. You're sons of God. You're children of God. So, let's pray for a moment. And then the bishop is going to come up. But let's pray for a moment. Let's don't pray wishing. I've lived a long time now. One thing I know, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There were times I didn't know that. I read it, but I just didn't really know it. I thought maybe God would fail me. Maybe I'd be an exception to the rule. But this is what I want you to know. Today, he's going to give you what you ask for. Be like the man whose son was an epaulette. And Jesus says, if you believe, he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So let's be believers today as I pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are to us, what you're doing in our day. I want to thank you for being here in Lusaka with brothers and sisters from several nations, a total of seven nations here. I'll ask you to meet each one of them at the point of their need. I ask you, I ask you that you would do what you have accomplished already through your son, Jesus Christ. I want, to, I want to thank you for their journey. For their journey, in part, is my journey. And my journey is their journey. For we are one body with one head. I want to thank you that you are moving them from one degree of faith to another. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that we are brothers and sisters together 
and that we're going to do this together. We're not going to do it separately. We're not looking for fame or glory. We're looking that you would be famous, Jesus, and that the knowledge of your being would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We pray that from Lusaka and from every other capital in Africa, that we would go to the four corners of the earth and our brothers in Asia would join us and go to the four corners of the earth and our brothers and sisters in Europe and in North America, South America, Australia, and even the islands of the sea, and that we would crisscross this world, giving this world Jesus. This is what we ask. I ask that you would strengthen the faith of everyone here, that they would know in their experience that no weapon formed against them will prosper, that they would know the love of God which passes knowledge, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God for every situation and every circumstance. I lastly pray that what we are preaching and who we are preaching is to be lived, is to be lived, not just talked about. In Jesus' name, I want to bless you and thank you. Amen.